Welcome to Sports, Clips, and Politics with your hosts, Ben Husong and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 10 of Sports, Clicks, and Politics. Ben Husong joining us remotely. Ben, how are we doing? Wonderful. Enjoying a lovely day out in Buffalo, New York. Oh, well, are there any other days other than wonderful in Buffalo, New York? I mean, aren't they all wonderful? <laughs> I can think of a few that were less than wonderful in the time that I lived here. Excellent. Uh, but I, I don't know if you know this. Most I lived in, of them have been I nice. lived in Buffalo for about a year, and I uh, uh, suffered some of those winter, or at least one winter, I guess. Uh, that was also a year the Bills went to the Super Bowl, so it was kind of uh, uh, ups and downs, because you know how those end. Right. Um, yeah, the day after that was probably a bad day in Buffalo, New yeah, York. Well, yes. Um, but, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to go there today. Let's go to different sports. Let's go to Colin Morikawa, his first major. One of the kids finally breaks through, gets a major, um, wins the PGA. Him. Oh, great for him. He's been on fire, too, this year. Um, one of these young guns, uh, him and uh, Hovland and uh, – um, Wolf, these guys are all in their, you know, just got out of college. This is kind of like their first or second year, and get a major in your first or second year is pretty cool. I think he's 23, I think Morikawa was. I thought I saw a graphic out there saying that he was, uh, you know, put put him in the, I know they tried to <laughs> nuance the caption so that they could put him next to Jack Nicholas and uh, Tiger Woods, but he was the the last two 23-year-old major first-time winners and Mor- Colin Morikawa. So he gets to be on the TV with those guys. Um, but really, it boiled down to uh, a par four. I think there was a very big cluster at the top of the leaderboard, and Morikawa stepped up on a very short par four, 16th, drives the green, puts it within like seven feet, makes eagle, goes up by two strokes, rides it out to the win, and we got ourselves a uh, one of the young guns finally got his major. So... Um, very happy that that was uh, – uh, got to see him win. Got to yeah. see one of the young guns, uh, you know, get to raise that big trophy. And, uh, you know, now we can see what the rest and of his career kind of can kind of turn out to be. And obviously against the stack field. I mean, it's a major. Everybody's in it. Everybody's gunning for it. And he, he held up. And, I mean, as far as clutch play goes, just the, uh, the courage it takes to pull driver right there and just say, I could lay up and try to play for the birdie, but let's go for seven feet yeah, instead. Right, I yeah, respect it. Yeah, no, for sure. I was totally happy that he went for it, so it was great. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, again, uh, you know, the, the major schedule uh, this year is kind of reshuffled, so the PGA has a different schedule. Um, I think the U.S. Open is next. Uh, I think Cuomo's allowing that this year. So um, I think that's on the schedule anyway. I think there's only three majors this year for some reason. But let's let's move on to another crazy uh, sports story in the world of sports, I guess. Uh, we all know that the XFL kind of went belly up when COVID emerged and shutting down their kind of re-emerging season here. But they have a new owner. Dwayne The Rock Johnson buys the XFL for a hefty sum of get this 15 million dollars not not 50 not five zero 15 million dollars he buys the whole league i'm assuming he has some other costs to go along with that but this has got to be good for the league right it it certainly is uh i mean if if anybody that you would want 
to help this league out as far as a promotion and branding and legitimacy. I, I'm trying to think, short of Roger Goodell, there's not too many people I would rather have by that league if I'm rooting for it to succeed and continue. Yeah, this is great. I think, you know, I mean, obviously the, he has some football background, so which is nice. I mean, he's clearly yep. got some money. I'm, this was a team of, of, of investors, so it's not just him running yep. the show there. I'm assuming he brought in some other people who have some uh, uh, capabilities to help him uh, to run the ship here. So I'm looking forward to it. I know we talked a little bit, hoping that maybe this would turn into kind of developmental league for the NFL, and I think that's yep. kind of what they want to do. And not just for the players, but for the league itself, right? So they can experiment with rules. They can experiment with implementation of stuff that, that – they don't know well or not it will scale up to the NFL, but at least you had this small little thing to, to, to test run it on to make sure you're not going to uh, either you know, break kneecaps or uh, you know, handicap your legs somehow or whatever. I don't know. You just want to change these rules. You never know how they're going to play out in the real world in the NFL, and you get this kind of, uh, I don't know, like a, yeah. like almost like a little bit of a, 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 a trial league. The laboratory. The laboratory is the word I was looking for. That's correct. I got you. I had a feeling that was what you were going for. No, I, listen, I think it's a great idea. I think that the only question is, are you going to be able to sell tickets? Can you promote? Can you get it? And I think in that effect, if you look at AAA baseball as the model, uh, you got to do some gimmicky stuff. you got to do some stuff to bring kids out and get them interested in all that. Then I think you got a pretty good shot at it. Now, I, I actually thought the product was decent, right? So, like, I didn't think it was terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, they had some former uh, NFL guys coming through and, um, you know, giving some legitimacy to the league. And if they can really turn it into a minor leagues, like a triple-A, you know, baseball, like a, even if it just stays at 8-10 teams and you can have, uh, you know, clusters of team using those to, to, you know, pull up and down during the season for injury sake and reason, it would be, a, I think, a benefit to not only the league as an entity, but to the players. I mean, you get more people into the, into the player pool um, and more shots at you know, the next whoever, big star. Right. And listen, I think I agree with that, and I think they can do it. Um, I, I know the NFL has, uh, has got some people talking lately about boycotting, and they're not watching anymore, and they're checked out. Kind of of the mindset that says, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, yeah. They can do basically whatever they want. You're still going to tune in and watch. Maybe I'm wrong, and if I am, and you get a huge drop in TV ratings just as the XFL is coming up, and uh, Mr. Johnson and his team can build it up, sure. But I would, I still have a hard time believing that the end date or the end game for the XFL is anything more than a developmental league. I don't think it ever goes toe to toe with the Goliath that is the NFL. Yeah, At least I, no time soon. Yeah, I, yeah, no, no, no time soon for sure. Like I don't, I don't ever expect a, you know, a merger of any sorts. So, um, right. But, but as you said. Competition's always good. Yeah, it's good. No, like I said, and I think it'll help the NFL just push them in directions that they probably wouldn't otherwise not go. So uh, that's always good. Disruption is good, I think, a lot of times. So mm-hmm. um, let's switch gears to a more sordid uh, tale, uh, but maybe in a good light. Uh, so Jeffrey Epstein, you guys probably, right. if you paid attention to any of this at all, you're aware that um, in 2008, I believe it was, he received a sweetheart deal from uh, Alex Acosta, um, when he was serving as U.S. District uh, uh, in Florida there. I think it was in the, I don't know if they have a Southern District. I think it's the same. Um, but anyway, so they got this sweetheart deal where uh, Epstein served 13 months in what turned out to be basically a hotel room. Um, so he basically had to stay, stay at the, uh, his private wing of the jail for 13 months only to sleep. Uh, still had guests, still went out to work, still probably engaged in terrible activities. So, But anyway... 
one of the victims sued and won, and the court is going to rehear that case. So that sweetheart deal basically has been vacated, and now we're going to get that case tried again. Um, I think this can't be anything other than described as good news, and hopefully this should bring some additional information that would otherwise not be available to us uh, here. I, I don't have any kind of idea of a time frame of this, but, I mean, this has got to be good. I mean, if you want information and if you want data and, and evidence, yes, I think this is a step in the right direction. Um, I, and it's also, as far as for the victims looking for closure, it's a, it's a step in the right direction. There's a part of me that wonders if this is going to hold up for the long haul. Like if they, if, if somebody appeals this with the question being, he's already dead. Uh, who are we going to punish? What, what is, what are we going to do this for? If we can't punish him any more than he already is, but for a civil side, obviously against his estate, then it can be, uh, then it can have an app that damages could be awarded and there could be some non-hypothetical results from the proceedings. I said that right. Yeah, that's I think right. I did. Uh, and, you know, again, I think that back to the, the, uh, the victims, the, the idea that maybe this will realize, maybe the, they'll realize that, you know, victims who haven't come forward be like, okay, well maybe the process is beginning to work for people. The sweetheart deal was kind of like a, Hey, Look at no matter what you got, no matter what information they have, they're gonna, they're gonna, this guy's gonna walk. And maybe, I mean, obviously, other than him not being able to walk hypothetically because he's dead, the idea of the did you put that in air quotes because I can't see you? But uh, I like I was you did. I did, but I in, only in my head. In the uh, <laughs> okay. the <laughs> so I, I don't know. I'm hoping that maybe some of these victims who would otherwise have been scared off. Um, or apathetic to the process would now come forward additionally and offer more information because they feel that the, the, the system is not completely rigged and broken and against them in this case. So I'm hoping that that's the outcome um, mm-hmm. on top of all the additional information that may be gathered from the, the, the rehearing of this case. But I think it's another moving of the ball forward in the right direction. Um, you know, every time we get close, I feel like, you know, Charlie Brown a little bit here. So let's hope that this is, is a real move in the right direction. Yeah. And I think people such as yourself, me to a lesser extent, uh, some people that listen to us would probably fall into this. The people that really follow this, that, that have been tracking this for some time, uh, it's, it's felt for a long time like everything was always going to be a stonewall. So I think any indication that you can get that the opposite is starting to come to pass, you have to take as a positive because this went on for over 20 years and it, it was nothing came out. Nobody would talk about it. Nobody would prosecute. Nobody did any research. No media would dive into it. No, no television station, no news organization, no anybody would do anything to go after this guy. And even after he died, that continued that nobody would dive in. So now at least I'll take whatever avenues I can get that result in, all right, at least we're breaking down this stone wall because as I apparently turn more and more into a conspiracy theorist, you can't help but ask the question, why are we still not talking about this? Like what is so bad in here that we know how bad it was. We know that it was horrific and heinous and evil. Who was involved that even though the guy's dead, we're still not getting any of these traditional organizations willing to crack this open and go, 
All right, other than Prince Andrew, who was here? What was happening? What happened in this, and why can we not look at it? Right. And, and, Perplexing. And my, you know, what I'm going to keep looking at is to what end, because if this, if this was, and, and by all indication, it was a, a honeypot scheme, right, with the, the worst kind of honey imaginable, and the, to what end? What, you know, what were these people getting in return right. for holding their lives in their hands, right? So, like, what, what kind of power? I, I, it wasn't just money. So what else was happening, and where, was it, where else was it happening? And that's what I'm going to keep my eyes on as this whole thing unfolds. That'll be, uh, it'll be interesting, terrifying, and interesting all at the same time. All right. Something else that's uh, terrifying might be strong, but interesting for sure and scary maybe is um, so we get to open schools. Cuomo allows us to uh, send our send our kids to, to class in person with in person instruction. So um, yep. now it will depend on the school districts themselves to determine if they do come back in in person instruction and to what yep. capacity and how many days and hours and all that stuff. Um, I guess this is good um, for Cuomo allowing all this. I, you know, I want to say this was a the right call. I'm not sure why it took this long to make it, but I better late than never. I think that we have some kind of Stockholm syndrome in our state because we say sentences like Cuomo allows our children to go to school despite the presence of a virus that is virtually no threat to them at all. But yet we still we're still grateful that Andrew Cuomo has allowed our children to go to school. This is mind-numbing to me. And it, it genuinely, just every time I hear somebody say, yeah, hey, Cuomo's going to allow this, I think, why in the world is he even in a position to allow or disallow this? This is too much power for one person to have. For sure. Yeah, it's... I, and listen, we, we've, you know, as a, as a people, we've given him the power. Um, mm-hmm. we, we may need to take it back at some point, and I, I don't know, you know, it doesn't have to be anything crazy other than just deciding to go about our business without listening to him tell us what right. to do anymore, right? So it doesn't have to be anything, you know, where we're, we're you know, marching on Albany or, or surrounding his house or anything like that. You can just go about yeah. your life, living your life. Now, I, I'm well aware that he, he has a hammer uh, and some of these, you know, with the state liquor authority specifically, and he can, oh. he can wield that hammer. Um, but the more people who go about living their lives, the, the closer we are to getting back to living our lives. Right. So, um, right. I, I think this is a good thing. I'm glad that he uh, is allowing in-person instruction. I guess there was some contention whether or not that was going to be a thing. So I'm glad it's allowed. Obviously I, I, I prefer the school districts try to get as much in-person instruction as possible. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll see how it goes forward. Obviously, we're what? Like, a, what's, what's the first day of school? Uh, Wednesday after Labor Day, so about okay. a month away. Okay. So we got some so, time to get oh, some, I, some clarification, hopefully. Right. And here's the thing. The idea that you would close schools, if you're just looking at it from a myopic point of view, you could say, well, there is a minimal risk, and maybe the teachers are at risk. But when you balance it out against the absolute certain effects of not having children in school five days a week, the economic devastation, the increase in child abuse, the increase in in so many other bad things that you can't help but shake your head and go, why are we, why is this even an option to keep schools closed? This just does not make sense. No part of it does. Uh, And even sending the kids to school, especially the very young kids that we know 
and I, I saw the new studies that said otherwise, but to call them incomplete would be the understatement of the year. Um, the children do not spread this disease effectively. They are not good carriers of it. And later on when we have our interview with Dr. Doe, he'll explain a little bit as to why. But we're going to send these kids to school wearing masks so they don't spread a virus that they really can't spread effectively at all or is at least a minimal risk. But the flu isn't going away, and the flu does kill healthy children every single year. And children do get sick from any number of other things with dirty hands touching their face, touching their mouth, touching their eyes. So we're going to send these kids to school, and we're going to, most school districts at least, are really mandating mask use all during the day. I can't help but be at least somewhat worried about how many other illnesses, not necessarily all fatal, but how many serious illnesses these kids are going to contract in our rush to protect them and the teachers from what is ultimately a minimal risk of transmission from the students themselves to the teachers. It, it doesn't seem to add up in my mind. I think you're, the consequences are going to be worse than the benefit. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, you know, I, I, I did follow up with, uh, Dr. Brown out at uh, Marcus Whitman to see if the governor's announcement changed anything in his world, and it did not. He said he was still full go-ahead as planned. Uh, so that's good, good that there was nothing there that, uh, I don't know, at least um, uh, stopped him or impeded him from kind of moving forward with their plan because I think that's a, some of the concern was is that without, the, you know, without enough clarity that there was going to be um, this you know, confusion going forward with these plans. So... Um, yes. Let's, let's talk COVID, but let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the Senate hearings that are happening. New York State Senate is uh, basically talking to the Commissioner of Health, Zucker, the New York State Commissioner of Health, that is, um, about what happened in nursing homes. Um, and several Democrat, okay. several Democrat um, state senators were. I think rightfully so, uh, very critical of the communication and the reporting of the actual statistics coming out of New York State regards to nursing homes. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I feel like it's Scoofus. Um, but the senator basically said, or asked uh, Commissioner Zucker, that we're aware that there's 6,300 reported nursing home deaths in the state. We also know that there's hospital deaths that could be added to that. And asked him flat out, you know, what's the, give me a ballpark number. He asked, you know, for 6,300 deaths, he's like, is it 8,000? Is it 10,000? Is it 12,000? Is it 15,000? Give us a ballpark number. And the commissioner could not do, or would not do that. Sorry. Um, basically right. stating that he would not give us a number until he was, had hard facts. Um, so I feel like people are waking up to the idea that Cuomo is not this, uh, heroic leader of this, uh, of our people here through this pandemic and that he may have played a role in making it worse. Um, I don't want to say that definitively yet, but like I feel like people are at least looking for the right information to find out if that's true. And if so, more power to them. And, and when this happens, because most of these were Senate Democrats, they couldn't. He, Cuomo could not turn and play the "it's just Republican playing politics" card. So. Um, I find it encouraging. I believe there's another hearing today. It might be actually happening as we speak right now. I'm not sure of the timing of it, but I believe there's another hearing today. So I'm hoping more information comes out and maybe the commissioner has more information to offer us today. But another encouraging sign for at least getting to 
an answer of what happened here in New York? I mean, I hope so. Uh, because honestly, if you start breaking down the data and start looking at it more closely, Andrew Cuomo is like the general custer of the COVID-19 pandemic. Well-regarded, well-thought-of, but holy crap, you these results are just unthinkable. And if you look it out across the country and across the world, uh, where people have deaths with or from SARS-CoV-2, roughly 40% are nursing homes or or, or people around that age of nursing homes. So if we have 34,000 people dead in this state with COVID-19, one of two things has to be true. Either the nursing homes account for roughly 15,000 deaths, because that would be about your 40%, or we managed to screw something else up remarkably bad if we were having other people account for a higher proportion of the death toll than we already do. So either the nursing homes are to blame or we did something else horrifically wrong. I don't know which one of these avenues our governor wants to take, but uh, either one. But let's see it. The fact that we're now into August, this started in March. So the order was rescinded in May. So let's just use May 10th as the day that the the nursing home order was, was rescinded. That's three months ago. You're telling me that in three months you haven't been able to figure out the accurate number of the people that caught this in nursing homes, went to a hospital, and died? There's no way that's true. It's, you are Again, let's give you the option. You're either lying or incompetent, right. one or the other, because you are, you are in charge of the health care of New York State, and you have a virus that is so blatantly deadly to this population, and you don't have an accurate count on that after three months. Every right. other state does. Every other country does. Somehow we don't. Especially when that is the largest chunk of deaths, right? It's the largest percentage. Right. Like if you can group these people into any way you want to group them, this is the, the group that is you're finding that the, the, the largest death is within this group. So this is the group mm-hmm. you should be paying attention to. And if you go back to, I don't know, whenever it was, uh, they weren't even tracking nursing home deaths to begin with. So like, and we all knew, nope. we all knew that this was the vulnerable group. They did not, well, let's just, I'll, I'll they say they were not tracking those deaths. So if they were tracking those deaths, they may have a number already, as you insinuate, they, are prob- they may already do, at least have a, a, a pretty good ballpark number of that deaths, or they're completely incompetent and should not be holding their, their position. So um, right. hopefully we get some more information again and we get to, to kind of you know see what happened uh, behind the curtain a little bit here with, an, with these hearings. I, again, I believe there's a second one today. Um, hopefully, again, that leads us to uh, finding out some answers here. So... Um, I, for anybody that happens to listen to this, see this, or read something about this, if you are not angry at the ineffectiveness of this, of this particular measure of, of our response to the pandemic, if you are looking for excuses for why this is okay, please stop. There is no rational explanation that we don't at least have these numbers yet. There is no good reason for it whatsoever. There's not a well-thought-out, benevolent explanation for why we possibly don't have this data published. If you compare it to anywhere else, they've got it. So I I don't know which way you want to go here, but for the love of God, stop making excuses for this. You can still agree with everything else Andrew Cuomo has done. I don't know why you would, but God bless you. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. If you're not looking at this with at least some skepticism, 
you got to stop drinking the Kool-Aid. At some point, you have to hold some leaders accountable. And looking at this, in New York State, having 34,000 people having died with COVID, New Jersey, 17,000, Massachusetts having about eight, everybody else is at like six. Guys, at some point, you have to acknowledge these results are horrific. We waited the the two weeks for the numbers from Florida. We waited the three weeks for Texas. We've waited the three weeks for Arizona. Guess what? They didn't come close. We have it so much worse. We were not the first state in the union to have a COVID-19 case. That was on the West Coast. Washington had it before us. It wasn't because we were the first one. I know New York City is very densely populated. Guess what? It's not even in the top 50 around the world for the most densely populated cities. Not the top 50. It's only population dense if you look only at America and nowhere else. So I get it's international travel, but it's not the biggest international hub in the world. All of these reasons that you can throw out, you have to take a myopic view to still draw the conclusion because once you put it in context, none of these line up. Not one of them or even all of them together should result in a mortality rate of 1,200 people per million of population. That is unfathomably awful, unfathomably bad. None of these things together can make that result. The only way that you fall back on that is if you want it to be true. That's it. And I think maybe adding on top of what you're saying is that we need to be skeptical. I think the media needs to start reporting on this, too. Like, they're... You know, there, there was some reporting on the, the nursing home stuffs back in, in March and April. I mean, you know, talking about it, but like, okay, well, we just had a hearing. I didn't see a, a single article written about it other than one AP article. So, like, right. there, there needs to be some accountability from our media um, and stop protecting, if that's the right word, the actions of this governor because he made terrible actions and they need to be held, he needs to be held account. And the media, that's what they're there for. Well, I don't even think it's protecting. I think it's ignoring. I think that it is a – every branch of media has their bias in what they're going to do, and that's fine. I accept that. I, I don't care. It is what it is. But the fact that you are so unwilling to cover this is remarkable to me because if, if this was any uh, anywhere else, you'd see the coverage. But they everybody went so heavily in on Andrew Cuomo's the man and, look, this is what leadership looks like and – I'm a Cuomo-sexual, God help me, whoever came up with that term. The media. Now to turn around and say, oh, wait, maybe not. Maybe we got it horribly wrong, and these numbers weren't some act of God that New York State possibly couldn't have possibly avoided. Maybe we should have rescinded the nursing home order on April 1st, and maybe we should have cleaned the subways before May 5th. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe a few things could have gone differently. I, th- I think you're right there. I, I, listen, I, I'm not an overly cocky person. I, I'm not an overly arrogant person. On this one, I know I'm right. It's, it's inarguable. Of I, I don't understand the leap of faith you have to take to say that Cuomo got it right and it was just bad luck and circumstance that resulted in this is unfathomable to me. I can't, I can't wrap my mind around how you get to the point where you say, no, this is why you're wrong. I, it, the numbers just do not support your contention whatsoever. No. Mr. Hughesong, before I bring on our guest interview, anything else you'd like to uh, uh, enlighten the, the guests with, the audience? Yeah, for the love of God, can we stop with this ridiculousness of canceling baseball seasons and closing baseball fields? Looking at you, Camillus. Uh, a 
apparently they got three complaints, anonymous of course, through the county executive's office about a lack of social distancing at youth baseball games outside. So after three complaints, the town of Camillus decided to shut down the entire baseball season by closing their fields so they couldn't be used. Unfathomable to me again. i got to stop using that word. I need a new word. I'm it's sorry. I'll think about it next. It is. It's, it, I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around this. Incomprehensible? But incomprehensible, inconceivable if you're a Princess Bride fan. Like, there's, there's some words out there that I'll start using instead. Um... I spoke to the director of Parks and Rec in Camillus and just asked, well, how many complaints did the other towns get? Oh, I don't know. We didn't ask. Okay. Uh, were they all one person complaining three times, or were they three different people? Oh, I don't know. There's no way to tell. Okay, did you reach out to the county executive for guidance on what you should do after receiving these complaints? Although we didn't think to do that. Oh, uh, all of this makes sense. Did you? Well, we told the league about it the first day. Okay, was there any follow-up? Was there any spot corrections, anything like that about specifically what we had to change? No, no, no. Uh, we didn't think. We didn't want to have a conflict right on the field. <laughs> so instead, you just decided that the smartest and most prudent course of action was to shut down nine-year-olds playing baseball outside. I mean, am I, am I losing my mind? Am I going crazy? Uh, I mean... I think other people have lost their mind, and they're in charge, so that's making all of us out have started to lose our minds. It's like, what is going on here? So I'm with you, man. I, I, when I heard that, I thought it was just ridiculous. I was like, I didn't even think it was real. And I was like, what? And then, obviously, I not, not, I knew it was real because it was coming directly from you, who I knew you were an act, you know, right. it was happening to you. Um, but the right. idea that I this actually is a thing is, is, again, unfathomable. So um, Here's the... Here's the best way to phrase it, Sean. In order to make that decision, it requires a level of ignorance about the threat, about how COVID-19 is spread, and about the likely outbreak that could occur from this activity. You have to be ignorant on all of those things, but still trusted with the authority to make these decisions that you didn't even bother to call anybody and ask, what should we do? You just went with your ignorance and decided that, nope, that's it. Three complaints of social distancing. Shut it down. That is something that I find untenable. That I cannot accept. If you are a, an official that, whether appointed or elected, and you have this kind of authority, you owe it to the people who ultimately pay your salary to at least do some research, to at least ask some questions about what should we do, rather than relying on your own ignorance and saying, I got this. We'll just be extra safe. That is that is unacceptable to me. Yeah, it seems, you know, more than a knee-jerk reaction, for sure. So, right. um, no, I feel bad for the kids. I feel bad for the parents watching the kids. I feel bad for, you know, <clears throat> anybody else who this, you know, if this leaks out and, you know, or leaks into other sports or, or whatever, like if this seems to become a thing, like it's, I, I hope it isn't. I hope this is a one-time thing, and hopefully it only happens yeah. to you. Unfortunately, it happened to you, but... <laughs> I mean, hopefully there's it's not something that other parents have to deal with. Um, but I'm Agreed. sure they will. So hopefully, again, I, I don't know when this thing ends in New York specifically. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know what has to, to – what data they're looking for to unveil phase five or whatever the next hurdle or whatever wing we got to enter into is. But, like, five I feel like we're there. Whatever information needs to be there, we have it. And we're already there. Right. We've reached it. Like, whatever has to be done – it has been done. It's over. Let's go. 
and I think that's where we're at. And when you see stuff like Camillus Little League getting closed down in a position where I feel like it's over, I understand why you continue to use the word unfathomable. So um, it's it's appropriate, again. So hopefully, again, hopefully this is a, uh, at least locally here, a a, a one-time thing and doesn't uh, lead to uh, a contagion of uh, canceled kids' sports here. So... Right. And I know kids are resilient. The kids will bounce back. This isn't going to be life-altering for any of the kids. I, I understand that, and I'm, I'm in full support of that. I just think if that's the best you can come up with for an explanation, you're doing a disservice for your yeah, job. Because your job is to foster the parks, the recreation, and make sure the kids are outside and getting to enjoy this stuff. The best you got is, well, it's not going to be that bad for the kids. Yeah. you got to do better. Yeah. It, there's just no reason for this. No, I'm with you. All right. Now. All right, guys. I'm More gonna... people should be on these issues. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully, you know, just keep spreading the word and getting that out there. People are, I think there's, I feel like we're, there's, a, 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 you know, a, a rumbling, of you will, of people knowing that it's over and just mm-hmm. waiting to figure out what to do next. So um, hopefully that comes sooner than later. Agreed. Right, you, you guys may remember our, our guest, our next guest here. So he was on our show, uh, I don't know, two, three weeks back, uh, um, as a, uh, uh, he's a medical doctor, Dr. Andrew Doe. He practices in Houston, Texas. Um, he's a radiologist there. He has uh, kind of been providing us information um, about COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 and all the things that go with that. Uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, the controversial, uh, somehow controversial uh, hydro- hydroxychloroquine. So, um, you know, with that video came out, uh, I don't know what it was, a week or so ago, uh, a bunch of doctors at, at White House talking about the benefits of that treatment, among other things, and the video proceeded to get pulled down by every major platform continually over and over. It still got viewed millions and millions and maybe tens of millions of times, so the, I think the message got out there for the most part, uh, but every major platform began to pull this, this video down um, because it went against uh, the WHO, I believe. So... Um, Anyway, so we figured we'd bring Dr. Doe back on to kind of talk about uh, hydroxychloroquine specifically um, and some of the other things that kind of revolve around that. But um, So that's what we got. We brought Dr. Doe back on. We did this interview last night, just so you know, um, and we are going to uh, run that here now. Mr. Husung, would you like to say anything before we run the interview and sign off with the folks? Listen to this interview. It's great information from a very knowledgeable source. Absolutely listen to it, and, and you will end up better educated for it. It's well worth the time. Listen to him talk. He's a, he's a very smart guy, and he's very much on top of this. Excellent. Yeah, and I agree. And I want to thank Dr. Doe again for uh, taking the time out for us. So without further ado, Dr. Andrew Doe. I want to welcome back to the show Dr. Andrew Doe. Uh, we want to follow up a little bit on our first interview with him and touch base specifically on the treatment of hydroxychloroquine. So, Dr. Doe, thank you for joining us again, and uh, how's Texas? Uh, we're as good as we always were, better than the media reports. Um, we're actually starting to see a downward trend, not only in um, new cases, but in patients taking up hospital beds, so looks like we're going in the right direction. Excellent. And so... I kind of wanted to bring you on only because uh, this treatment of hydroxychloroquine uh, became such a hot topic that uh, some doctors got up on the uh, front of the White House 
uh, made a video. That video was saw by millions and downloaded by millions of people, and it was basically banned or pulled down from every major platform as quickly as they could put it back up. So um, it got a lot of attention. It got a lot of talk about this treatment. So what sayeth you, Dr. Doe, about this hydroxychloroquine? So um, the idea of this being a cure may be a little bit of a stretch, but this being an effective treatment um, and especially an effective prophylactic is probably pretty good. Um, You know, no matter what drug we study, it, it, there, there's always questions, is it the most effective drug? Is it the best you know, possible drug we can create? Whatever it may be, it's definitely effective. Um, do we know exactly when it's effective? The first studies showed it wasn't effective for late cases. Well, unfortunately, nothing was. Um, and now we found out that a, a four-cent um, corticosteroid is actually excellent in the late cases. Um, you know, and so the idea to just dismiss this, to say this video is just total misinformation. Um, you know, I participate in a lot of closed physician-only groups on Facebook, and, you know, we're getting censored there. We, we put up a study of hydroxychloroquine, very well done, peer-reviewed, and the Facebook bots check it and say, uh, this is false information, and it's like, you know, I think we're pretty qualified to determine whether or not this is this is false or misinformation. So, you know, the jury is still somewhat out, um, but most of the studies that show hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and azithromycin used early on, pretty good evidence that it's it's definitely a good prophylactic. Um, one study came out that showed it wasn't good early on. Uh, the big limiting factor was only 56% of the patients tested positive for COVID. So it's really not, you know, anything you can really hang your hat on and say this thing doesn't work. So, um, and as I said before, you know, the two major studies, major meta-analyses that showed that the increased incidence of cardiac side effects and um, ineffectiveness of hydroxychloroquine, those were, doesn't work, and this is why, and they don't even realize that those studies have been retracted. You, you broke up there a little bit as you were talking about the retracted studies. Can you go back there just a little bit and kind of re- re- talk about that? Sure. So the two retracted studies were basically pointing out or basically stated hydroxychloroquine wasn't effective and it led, it, it led to um, unnecessary amount of cardiac uh, side effects. And those two studies were retracted. The author fired. However, these are the two studies that a lot of people are still citing to say it's ineffective. So um, they're not even following up on their own research to realize that what they're using to prove their stance has actually been, I can't say disproven, but um, kind of thrown out. Funny side note to your uh, Facebook post. I had a Facebook take post taken down as well about COVID because I posted a, a dollar menu as a cure to COVID and they took it down because it violated community standards. So right there with you, I got one of those, <laughs> whatever. So, <laughs> what, what community is yeah, it? I don't know. I don't know. Um, you said cure. Yeah, that's exactly. That's what it was. Apparently I, I shouldn't have said COVID and cure in the same sentence. Um, even in sarcastic way, I guess. Uh, so did you have any like, you know, I know the, the one doctor got most of the attention from this group, but, like, do you have any takes specifically on that video? Well, I don't even know if you saw the video. I think you're aware of the video, but I'm not sure if you actually saw it. Do you have any, like, just takes on that video specifically? 
Um, I did watch the video. Um, I thought it was pretty well done. I think, um, you know, Dr. Emanuel's definitely been attacked because of this video, but even within my community, one of the most well-respected infectious disease doctors, you know, touts hydroxychloroquine, um, you know, he's, he's made it known in our physician community, hey, if, if you want it prophylactically, I'll, I'll write the prescription for you. Um, but that being said, you know, I know plenty of doctors where their colleagues are saying, you know what, if you try to get hydroxychloroquine for your patients, I'm going to report you to the medical board. So, I mean, it's just incredibly politicized, as you saw, well, as you saw in the reaction to the video. Um, and it seems to be, I don't know where, it's not really scientifically founded, but somewhere this, this idea that you can even say hydroxychloroquine is effective is now kind of anti-science or, you know, anti-truth um, or, you know, something to that effect. Uh, Dr. Doe, let me ask you a quick question on that vein. For months now, some of us have been looking at the numbers coming out of India specifically, and India has cities with immensely densely populated areas. Uh, the healthcare ranks 145th out of 195 countries, so it's not exactly the beacon of effective and available healthcare. Obviously, their case numbers are out of are very high. They, they have a lot of cases. They're still surging, but for comparison's sake, the death rate in America, the death per million is about 482. The death per million in India is 30. Now, the big difference between India and the rest of the world is they do treat prophylactically with hydroxychloroquine. So I don't know much else about it. I don't expect you're an expert on Indian healthcare, so bear with me on this, but what other rationale could you come up with or theories could you give us on, all right, if it's not just this, because it's not a cure, but it is an effective treatment, what else could play into that big of a disparity? Almost 20 times the, the difference in results once somebody gets COVID. Yes, I mean, there's really no other way. If this was an airborne virus, which it's not, the epidemiology doesn't favor that, um, we should have seen case numbers, not just deaths, but cases as well, crashing once everybody started wearing these masks. And we haven't seen that. Um, so you put, you know, even with the mask on, we're not seeing cases drop. You look at India, which is, you know, probably the least socially distancing country in the world, very densely populated. Um, you know, the, 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 the cities themselves aren't really, you know, um, <clears throat> the cleanest, the best cities, but, sure. but you're right. You have this very low death rate per million and, that's really got to be the only factor because that's the only thing they're doing differently. Um, you know, everyone that wants to bash um, hydroxychloroquine wants to say, oh, there's not a randomized controlled trial. Um, well, no, there isn't. And we're working in real time here, so we can't do that. But if you look at a big, I mean, this is a massive population in India, and these numbers are just so out of line with everyone else, um, the, the one thing they're doing differently must be what's changing everything and they're they're particularly good at giving it to the highest risk people following all the guidelines everything we know so far um if you're in one of those high risk categories you have high blood pressure you're obese um you're getting it and you're taking it and the death rates just aren't there uh in the same vein i guess the other thing people talk about the no randomized controlled tests and the other one i always wonder about is side effects 
So from the limited research I can do is I am not an MD by any means. It doesn't seem like there's a high prevalence of serious side effects to hydroxychloroquine, not the dosage that they recommend for COVID. Could you speak to that a little bit? Am I missing something or is that within what you found as well? No, not at all. And that was one of the big points of the two studies that were supposedly, you know, very overwhelming against hydroxychloroquine. Um, the reports about the side effects just weren't founded. They were they were basically pulled out of thin air. Um, most patients, and this is speaking to cardiologists um, in in hydroxy pro hydroxychloroquine groups, the Baylor group of uh, Baylor. Um, College of Medicine, their cardiology department has come out in favor of hydroxychloroquine, um, and they state, you know, like everyone else, the, the increased side effects in these patients that don't already have some kind of history of uh, arrhythmia, you just don't see it. Um, and as long as you're aware of the certain drugs that, you know, the two together can make it worse, then you really don't see anything more than the normal rate of uh, side effects. And so, how, what kind of a, you know, what kind of a percentage of people in this country are being prescribed this? Is it? I mean, obviously, it's very controversial. So, is there any places out there where it's actually happening? Um, it is happening, um, and I know other physicians that have kind of a stockpile. I know people that have taken it prophylactically. I don't think we're going to know because it is so politicized. I think people are kind of, you know, the physicians that have told me they they tried it or they have it. It's kind of on the down low, sure. nobody really wants to be, uh, it'll be like our case numbers. We'll never really know how many case numbers we have, you know, and then I, I <laughs> one of the things I was looking at today was, uh, you know, the largest number of cases in the world, and you look at China, China just dropped off a cliff, and you're not going to tell me they really dropped off a cliff. Right. They just stopped testing, right. and, and it's that simple. Um, you know, we actually have a defector now. Um, She's in the U.S. now, and she's saying the same thing. You know, China is just not being honest about this virus at all. But the number of cases, the number of deaths, where it came from. So, um, you know, I, I, I can't trust hardly any of these numbers. But the good thing is, more cases we see, we're still not seeing a big rise in deaths, you know, I think. Um, and then one... Uh, egregious thing I found and I actually contacted a lawyer friend of mine and said hey I think we need to at least put some pressure on Google because if you Google um, try to remember exactly how I phrased it but I think it was is COVID-19 seasonal the first link that comes up is the United Nations Health Advisory not only the, the title was not only is COVID seasonal but get ready for a second big wave the next link below that is the World Health Organization saying there is no evidence to support COVID being seasonal and we're likely seeing, we, we've already likely seen the big wave. So, I mean, this is just, so consistency. you know, it's crazy. It's like I find a study that looks pretty good and is in pretty good uh, support of hydroxychloroquine and Facebook tells me it's false information. Yet Google is out there. I mean, there's mixed messages to, to yeah. say the least. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I feel like wherever you stand on this thing, I feel like the information has been incomplete at best, you know, untimely everywhere. Like people are just giving out bits and pieces of it. They talk about different, different lag times and different, you know, 
whatever. I mean, there's so many different time frames that they've used to try to justify what's happening next that everybody is just either confused or scared out of their gourd. Um, I feel like it makes everybody confused and acts unlike themselves. I, mean, I don't. I, I don't know if acting in fear is accurate. It may be. Um, where can you get information? I mean, if we're talking about Facebook and Google, which are probably the two, you know, Google clearly the biggest search engine in the world and Facebook, the biggest social networking platform in the world and people get majority of their news from there. So if they're, if they're filtering out or providing confusing news, you know, where do people go to look? I mean, do you, I don't know if you have any, I mean, I know you have closed groups and you have obviously access to uh, smarter people than I, but, but where would you tell folks like, me and other bartenders of the like to, to go find information on this. Yeah. You know, that's the real difficult thing. Um, you know, I can tell you go to pubmed.gov, which is a pretty unbiased, good collection of studies, but it's going to be at a level that a lot of people aren't going to be able to decipher. Um, so it's really difficult for the public. And, you know, if, if it's, it's almost like, the idea of religion or politics, you know, you don't ever want to discuss politics on your first date or religion or anything. And, and COVID is the same exact way. You know, if you don't say what someone wants to hear or thinks is the right way, you know, you're just going to get attacked as Dr. Emanuel was, but there's really, um, the best thing you can do is just read the, you know, Forbes did an okay job. Um, you know, um, PJ Media does a does a fairly good job, um, and then you know some of the other um, science does a decent job as far as scientific articles, but at a level that you know most people can can understand. So you just gotta you gotta really take everything with a grain of salt, no matter which side it is, no matter what it supports, and kind of make your own decision. But you know, as you said, Ben, you look at things like India. There's really no other reason that you, nothing else that you can find that's unique other than hydroxychloroquine, and you're just not seeing the, the death rate there. Yeah, and I, I'm feeling like I'm losing my mind because I'll go and read these studies that people are posing. And I'm not a doctor, but I, I do have a postgraduate degree. I'm a pretty intelligent guy. I'm fairly well-educated, and I can read these things and make sense of them. And then I read the news article and go, that's not what that says at all. No, that's, no, and you know the, the the amount of misinformation that the, the media has kind of put out there and twisted from what's there. And the problem is, you know, they say scientific studies, so most people say, "Well, I'm not going to understand it," but this is what the media is telling me. And you're absolutely right. You know, they're they're just made drawing their own conclusions from a study, and you know, like the. Um, was he the health secretary was out there and the guy on CNN was questioning him saying, why aren't we letting veterinary labs do this? Why aren't we letting these people do it? Why aren't we doing more and more testing? And, you know, he basically shot him down. He said, we are, we're doing everything possible. We're getting all the veterinary labs to switch over to meet all the standards for human testing and all these things. And then the next day, the same TV program, the same uh, um, anchor is saying, oh, he said they're not doing enough. And he never said that, you know? They're doing everything they can, and, you know, nothing is going to be overnight. But, yeah, it's just a sea of misinformation. I really am interested to see November 5th what what the whole thing looks like. Yeah. I, 
I don't want to believe that that's true. I genuinely I don't. But you you start to go through some of this as far as how politicized it's become. And I didn't follow any other pandemic before this one, admittedly. Any of the other ones Nobody in your career, either, Ben. <laughs> Have you ever seen anything like this to this extent of how far we've gone? No, I, I, I've never seen of. You can't look back and try to hear about. Um, actually, to to that point, one of the most interesting things you can do is look up the flu of 1970 and the vaccine that was rushed to market for that. And there's a um, a uh, disease, a I, I don't want to say a disease, but a uh, side effect that can happen from these vaccinations can happen with a virus as well. It's called Guillain-Barre, where basically your body starts making antibodies to your own muscle receptors. And um, it's what we call, um, I'm trying to remember if it's ascending or descending paralysis, but basically it gets to the point where you, you can't breathe. Your, your diaphragm doesn't work. So you have to go on a ventilator. If you survive that long, you go on a ventilator and usually you'll recover. But um, I mean, it's a pretty terrible course. And the incidence of that with that 1970 flu virus was just through the roof. Um, and I was talking to a colleague the other day and I said, you know, most virus, most uh, vaccines come out in three to four years that they're shown to be safe. And he said, actually, the fastest a vaccine has ever come to market and was safe was five years. So, you know, I'm going to tell you this, my medical advice, they can call me a heretic, anything they want. I'll take hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and azithromycin I will not go anywhere near that vaccine. So, <laughs> well, no I'm in agreement. <laughs> so let's let's turn it back real quick on the other back to this side of the planet, then India. Um, let's talk about. I don't know if Texas is part of the Sun Belt. I guess they are, right? Yeah, are you guys considered the Sun Belt down there, or at least maybe the you you look over the Sun Belt. Um, kind of, but it yeah. seems like everything there peaked a couple weeks ago yeah i mean everything seems to have kind of be on the down um this was the place where everybody was kind of pointing to waiting you know let's wait three weeks and here comes the the next whatever um but i think we're past that and it seems to be flattening out everywhere um do you i mean i I, am i right there i mean or or or, or, i mean i don't i haven't heard anything especially in the last week and a half here about anything kind of even increased cases yeah, no, the, uh, the the case per day rate has actually dropped, um, continues to drop. Uh, I think every, pretty much it has for the last, I want to say at least seven to eight days. So um, it looks like if there was a peak, we hit the peak and we're on the other side of it. Um, the mortality continues to drop despite the, and, and it's, the mortality has become, you know, increasingly small compared to the number of cases we've seen. So I think, you know, we're past this thing. And I think this is going to act more like the SARS-1 than it is, you know, this super flu seasonal, you know, it's going to go on for five years if Trump wins, (laughs) whatever, whatever, whatever they're pushing now. So uh, I think we are, I think we're beyond it. Um, Although I read a, um, study recently, there were three epidemiological models they used for most uh, viral infections, one being the seasonal, seasonal model, um, which is the flu we see. Uh, once it gets cold, people get in smaller spaces. It tends to ramp back up. And then there's one which is kind of like uh, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, where you just see flares 
from time to time, never really goes away. And then there's the SARS-1 uh, model, where it's a big peak, and then it just vanishes. Um, and this really isn't fitting any of those. It's kind of this slow burn. It may just be a well, SARS-1. think some of that slow peak was... I don't know, caused by uh, lockdowns and just a, a, a blocking of the natural progression of the virus? I mean, could that have played a role in not having this uh, replicate of the whatever the SARS early spike? And then, I mean, we kind of had that here, I think, in New York. Um, everybody else kind of, you know, saw what was happening in New York and got scared and did other things. I, I mean, there was there was kind of a spike here, I guess, but like it doesn't doesn't seem like that's the same place as everywhere else. I mean, everybody else is a much flatter spike for sure. Yeah, I think you you do see that. You see different peaks, and I think you're right with New York. You know, um, initially it was New York, lots of international travel, a lot of people in on the subways and things like that. So if it's going to spread, it's going to spread fast. And then, you know, in my honest opinion, New York was kind of late to the game as far as social distancing, hand washing, and things like that. I still don't think the mask made a bit of difference. Um, unless there was a sick person, the mask don't do you any good. Um, but, you know, we're starting to see more and more. Everybody's starting to follow that slow burn pattern. And I'm hoping that it's just, like you said, it, it would, the, some of the, the uh, precautions we put in place kind of s- spread it out, kind of flatten that flatten, curve. Right, right. Yeah, and um, it may be like a SARS-1 where it's just going to disappear. It's just going to take a little longer because of us flattening that curve. And if you remember the initial reasoning behind all these um, shutdowns and everything like that was to not overwhelm the healthcare right. system. And we just didn't see that. Right. Uh, 15 days. Yep. <laughs> we went a little over. Yeah, just a bit. Unfortunately uh, for me, the governor said, Hospitals got to shut down. And I said, you know what? It's great because I'm not a hospital. So. <laughs> uh, on a similar note to this, like looking at the difference in results between Florida, Texas, Arizona, New York, when you hear Dr. Fauci come out and point to New York State as something, I'm going to paraphrase, the model to follow, the one who did it right, am I insane for being completely confused by that statement? Dr. Fauci is 79 years old. He's done great making intelligent statements. That was not an intelligent statement. The The idea that New York was a shining example of what should be um, followed, if you look at the one who did it, if you look at the deaths, 40, 40 plus percent, 42, 43 percent of all deaths have been in New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. You look at all the deaths, and 42, 43% have been in nursing homes. So, you know. It almost seems like we know where where we should have been looking the whole time. Oh, absolutely. Um, And, you know, that's what Sweden did. Sweden shut down, restricted access to nursing homes. They were very strict about that. Social distancing, limiting visitors, cleaning, disinfecting everything. Um, and, you know, Sweden's death rate has been zero for the past four days. So, you know, uh, I, I don't think... There's, there's been some hearings. Uh, I expect the... I think there's a second Senate hearing uh, tomorrow, actually, with uh, uh, the health commissioner here in New York with the uh, the state Senate. 
Um, and they grilled that guy pretty good last Monday, and I expect more of the same uh, tomorrow. So hopefully this nursing home thing, because I still don't know that it has gotten the attention that it has deserved. Um, I think that the distraction of these other states have kind of given Cuomo, uh, or that decision at least, uh, you know, a path to kind of, or at least some cover. Um, but now that as you point all those numbers out, the 40% and the 40% and all that looks right to one specific hotspot that he happened to mandate patients go back into, there's a lot of math there that points in that he made a terrible decision. And I think people are starting to wake up to that. Uh, so we'll see. But I, I, your point is taken well with here with the amount of deaths that happened specifically in the states that you mentioned and how they specifically deaths happened at nursing homes and we still don't even have an accurate <clears throat> excuse me an accurate yeah. count in new york because they still are not counting nursing home deaths like everybody else are so we still have a big huge and that was kind of what most of the grilling was in the senate hearing was you know basically and this was coming from democrats uh senators basically saying can you give us a number like just even ballpark it like we know we have 6300 is it is it 8000 with the hospital deaths is it 12000 is it 15000 and he wouldn't even commit to any numbers so clearly there's there's a number someplace bigger than 6,300 that they're not letting us know that's the, that's nursing home deaths. So even that 40% that we're talking about there is, is higher than what it is. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. And you look at Texas, you know, um, with the number of cases we have here in Texas, we're at 3,900 deaths. You look at New York, 34,000 deaths. Yeah. You can tell me you have less cases all along, but you don't get that many more deaths with that many fewer cases. Uh, and I actually had a discussion the other day about the, um, the naval um, hospital that was the ship that was sent to uh, the Hudson Bay or the harbor for uh, New York to use instead of sending those patients to nursing homes. And her defense was, well, you know, that wasn't what they were intended for. And I said that was absolutely what they were intended for. You know, I'm still in the Army Reserves, the Army Medical Corps, we were asked if anyone wants to be a volunteer to go work on this naval ship for these COVID patients. I have a friend, a retired Navy SEAL medic. He actually went to New York to do that, um, said, hey, we're not going to use you. So they let him go into the, the New York hospitals. So, you know, it, it, Cuomo really <laughs> Cuomo really made some major mistakes. And for Fauci to praise him, I, I don't understand that. <laughs> You know, maybe he's he, him and Joe are fighting over the last few aircraft. I don't know what it is. I'm not uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, mean, I don't ever try to get into the motives that somebody has. Like Dr. Fauci, I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that he said. I don't agree with a lot of the recommendations, but I've never looked at him and said, "You're a liar." You're with Bill Gates trying to put transponders in all of us. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm not there. And everything else was, he's an infectious disease doctor. And when you ask an infectious disease doctor, what should we do? The answer is always overkill. Every single time, without exception. That was the first moment when he came out and said that, where I went, you are trying to microchip us, aren't I? Like, I'm on to you now, see? I've got you. Ran in the kitchen and made a tinfoil hat. <laughs> yeah, right away. Not today, Fauci. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, I did want to ask you about this, Sean. I apologize. Ahead, um, are you aware of any other state where they, the way New York counts nursing home deaths, some of us have been throwing all kinds of questions at this. Uh, if you contract COVID in a nursing home, they transport you to a hospital and you die in a hospital, you do not count as a nursing home death in our state. Are you aware of any other state that counts this this way? 
I am not. Uh, I don't have a lot of um, input as far as the nursing homes in Texas and how we do our counting. But the counting of COVID deaths has really, I mean, to say it wasn't monetized, it was monetized, um, maybe not directly, but it, um, definitely indirectly, um, because you have to offset all the elective surgeries you're not doing. But the the, the county, John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins has been very good about not only calling out the way New York State was counting these COVID deaths, but also the CDC and how they were counting cases. So, you know, this thing has just been, been uh, you know, just done poorly, managed poorly. I don't know. Uh, um, I don't trust anybody counting anything, um, even the positive cases. I mean, you have probably 20 different hospitals that sent in tests that were never used, and they all came back positive. So. Amazing. Right. So that just goes to the whole thing we were talking about earlier, where are you going to get your info from? And nobody is giving any kind of info that is easily digestible and something you can kind of take to the bank. So it's just crazy. Um, yeah. What else did we miss? Anything else that you wanted to, that we didn't follow up today or, or last time with that you want to make sure we uh, get out there? Um, not really, because okay. if I gave you my plan, <laughs> what they would do is they'd have everybody wearing goggles and masks. Um, but in reality, you know, the best thing we can do is hand wash. Um, that's really the best thing we can do. Kids should go back to school. Um, you know, in front of you teachers that are worried about your risk, you had six months to get in shape. You could have mitigated your risk, you know, greatly just by being um, more cardiovascularly fit. Not so, in New York, the gyms are closed. <laughs> you can still go outdoors. That's true. You still watch, still watch your hand go into your mouth, right? So, um, no, but really, you know, the best way, from the evidence we have, the fact that this isn't airborne, this is droplet, um, we need to keep our hands clean, we need to wash lots of surfaces, and we got to not touch our eyes. Um, and I told a, a colleague this the other day, if I was running this whole thing, I'd say put some goggles on and wash your hands and go about your life. Um, but at the point we're at now, they're going to say put your mask on, add the goggles on, put some gloves on, wash your gloves, wash your doorknobs. So, you know, we never take anything away. It's always going to be additive, so. Very good. Can I ask one other question? Sure, a little go. off of the uh, the usual, but uh, Dr. Doe, the, uh, the results that are coming back, and I am going to butcher this, so I apologize. The results of the T-cell receptors are showing some level of immunity without antibodies across the population. Are you all familiar with this? Uh, yes. Your thoughts? Yes, so... Get um, some background since I did such a wonderful job explaining it. If maybe you could do a little better job of explaining that. So with, when you get an infection, typically what happens is it's a new infection in your body. Your body grabs this, starts killing this infection by, if you want to think about it this way, putting A1 steak sauce on it so the hungry cells, the T cells, can come and eat it. They know which ones to eat. Um, and this is done with a, an antibody called an IgM which is kind of short-term, it's not the best, may label a few of your own cells, you know, and get a little out of hand, but overall it's the best you can do. After a while, you'll process all these things, specialized cells, and they'll make an IgG antibody. So the next time this thing gets in your body, they slap this IgG on it, your hungry cells know exactly which cells to kill, and it gets, you know, wiped out before you even know you have it. So this isn't what we're seeing with COVID. And there was an excellent study, um, and I'm blanking on, um, I think it was science, um, 
is it a science or nature? But I'd have to I have to look it up. And this study showed um, what we've seen already. It kind of um, reinforced what we've seen is these antibodies are, are rising, are peaking, and then they're falling off again. And people were very worried because hey, the antibodies are gone. We're not gonna we're gonna not gonna retain immunity to this. It's not like you know like your hepatitis B vaccine. You get it, and then every seven years you start checking titers and say yep you're still immune or you're not immune so you get a little booster we're not seeing that we're seeing these antibodies kind of go away but when we see this covid reintroduced we don't seem to need the antibodies it's a t-cell um, immunity so these t-cells have the memory So it looks like it's a little bit different as far as the immunity. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen anything if they went back and looked at SARS-1 like this, and maybe that's why it burned out after only eight months. Um, but this may be something unique, and this may be these SARS-type types type viruses. This is, why, this is how it works. Anything else to you I mean, I could go all day, admittedly. Uh, I guess I was going to ask you about the, the, the kids wearing masks back at school, but I think I've got your opinion on that. My fear as a parent of young children is children are disgusting, and the flu is an actual threat to healthy children. So I'm pretty sure if you send my kids to school wearing masks all the time, they're going to sneeze in them, rub them, and then touch their eyes, and they're going to spread every other germ known to man, all in the name of protecting them from a virus that has a statistically 0% chance of actually killing them. Absolutely, and the, um, the the study, actually, I just recently posted this on, uh, on my Facebook page. Um, it looks like, well, we know for a fact that the uh, COVID uses the ACE2 receptor in our cells to get into our body, and kids just don't have that. You know, how many five-year-olds do you know with high blood pressure? <laughs> they just don't have it. It just doesn't affect them. Um, so they're, they can get infected, but they don't tend to get very infected. They probably don't create enough viruses and shed enough viruses to spread it, you know, wildly. Um, so I think that's why most of these, you know, I think it's something like 96% of cases in people 24 years and younger are, are either completely asymptomatic or very mildly symptomatic. Um, you know, but if you're a 55 year old teacher that smokes, has high blood pressure, and you're 40 pounds overweight, yeah, you might want to take a year off. Right. And so, and <laughs> just following up on that real quick. So, I seen people. I think it was a Gwinnett school district in Georgia just had some kind of like there was some reporting that there was like a outbreak of I don't know 260 something people yeah. there. Like so, when that is used to you know, scare everybody into, you know, keeping school away, you know, what's happening in that situation in reality and should it be used, you know, for, for any kind of information gathering going back to school for kids? You know, again, it's just, it's, it's just misinformation. It's, it's, it's weaponizing, um, you know, results. And they gave no information on how many kids were sick. Did any kids get severely sick? How many teachers got sick that interacted with these kids? You know, it was really just thrown out there in a vacuum. And, and actually, I think it was, even following up on that point, and I'll let you finish, I think it was positive tastes and possible contacts with people. So that 260 number, I'm assuming is not 260. It's less than that. 
Um, but obviously they, they're trying to inflate numbers to, to scare people. But, um, I'm just, you're going to see these daycare pop-ups and these, these, you know, if there is a, any kind of, uh, you know, perceived breakout in one of these schools or anything with kids, it's going to be pushed to the top of the, the, you know, to page one immediately. Yeah. And you know, um, Sweden didn't close down any daycares. Denmark didn't close down daycares and you didn't see daycare workers coming down with this. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty good evidence. And like the American Academy of Pediatrics, very low risk, send the kids back to school. Um, and it looks like, like I said, it looks like kids, even if they get it, they, they, they're not getting sick. And we know you can't get sick unless you make enough virus. So in all likelihood, these kids aren't going to shed it if they're not making that much. So that's why, you know, you're not, you're probably not going to see it. You know, the, the pediatric wards, we didn't see a lot of kids with COVID in the pediatric ICU. We didn't see pediatricians or pediatric staff getting COVID at any higher rate. We just didn't see it. Yeah, so I'll just chalk that up to another bit of uh, misleading information or confusing information at best anyway. Dr. Doe, I want to thank you for your time again. Um, unless Ben has one more question. Let me make sure Ben doesn't have any more questions. No, nope. okay. I can't help myself, and All I'm right, so no, sorry. Good. Is there... We'll always, be next, we'll always be a next show, Ben. All right, All right. I'll let it go. All right, Dr. All Doe, right. thank you again for your time. I appreciate you. I'll be back in touch. All right, thanks, okay, guys. Thank Take you. care. Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. All right, folks, that was Dr. Doe. I want to thank him for his time again. I want to thank Ben Hughesong for joining us uh, via his uh, remote location, undisclosed remote location. And uh, just a bit of uh, closing breaking news from our uh, college football beat reporter, Michael Bacallo, breaking news that the Big Ten, and I believe it looks like the Pac-12, is not going to play their football season this year. Uh uh, maybe the, it looks like the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 are going to try to uh, play some kind of season amongst themselves with a little TV deal. But uh, more news on that next week. Uh, hopefully we have some college football uh, as we move forward. But again, thanks, everybody. We'll see everybody next week. Until then, thank you again for tuning in.